thank you that at the cross, God, we were made new again. And we love you today, Lord. We love you. Would you give the Lord praise today? Just thank him. I ask you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, and stand with me, if you don't mind. Pastor Tony and these musicians and these singers, thank you so much this morning for leading us into the presence of God, helping us to encounter the wonder of the Lord through singing and through music today. So good to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. As always, it's good to have guests today, and uh, it's good to have Pastor and Sister Weaver's son, Scott, and his wife, Cammie, and their daughters, Corey and Brooke, today with us, and uh, it's always good to have his family come and visit us, and it's good to see Pastor Weaver back down here sitting where he belongs. He's had a couple of weeks where he's uh, had some health issues, but we're glad that he is uh, back in the saddle, so to speak, and uh, driving again, and uh, Sister Weaver has done very well keeping him held down and straight, and uh, we are thankful today, so thankful for Brother and Sister Weaver, what they mean to this church, amen. Who would have thought many years after he left that he would end up back here doing ministry? And he's just such an asset and such a joy uh, to have he and Sister Weaver. I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Luke with me this morning, Luke chapter 23. Uh, This is going to seem like an odd text for a Mother's Day message, but if you'll give me a few moments and permit me to use some imagination, I think we'll be able to tie it together Uh, I visited this text on Easter Sunday, uh, but today I just felt so compelled to go back to this same text and give you a different vantage point uh, of something that that I believe that will help us together. I am going to preach about moms today, and you're going to look at this and go, Pastor, there's no way you'll get a Mother's Day message out of this. If you hold tight, I I think we can do this. Luke chapter 23. I'll begin at the 39th verse and read through the 43rd verse. I don't know if there's a greater passage in all the Bible or any greater passages in all the Scripture than when you read about the cross and Calvary. We just sang about it. And uh, Let me pick up here and read, beginning at verse 39, Luke 23. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering... rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to return to this text at the very end today of my message, but I want to just use for a title today this thought, The Happiest Mother Who Ever Lived. The Happiest Mother Who Ever Lived. Father, bless today the reading of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth that's found in your word. Now, God, I just ask today that you will help me to articulate today this message in a way that you want me to do it. And God, I pray you'll anoint the ears of the people to hear and their eyes to see. I thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments we have together. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. 
I believe that you will agree with me today that there is nobody in the world like a mother. There is no love like the love of a mother. And there is no one in this world who has taught us quite the things that our mother has taught us. I came across uh, this little reading some time ago, and I want to share it with you as we move into this message. It said that my mother taught me religion when she said, you better pray, that will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me time travel when she said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me logic when she said, because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me irony when she said, just keep laughing and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis when she said, shut your mouth and eat your supper. My mother taught me about contortionism when she said, well, you look at the dirt on the back of your neck. My mother taught me about weather when she said, it looks as if a tornado has swept through your room. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done when she said, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me about envy when she said, there are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. And my mother taught me about behavior modification when she said, stop acting like your father. <clears throat> and I believe that it's safe to say today that no one in all of the world has taught us the things that our mothers have taught us. Among many other things, the Bible is a book about mothers. And it's interesting to me that so many of the mothers that we read about in the Bible, they were women who were who were barren until God showed up in their lives and performed a miracle. And recently I I wondered and tried to figure out who out of all of the Bible was the happiest mother that ever lived. I mean, there are some great mothers in the Bible. I could talk about uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed, and talk about her story and how great she was. I could talk about Jacob and Esau's mother, Rebekah, and what she meant to those two boys. I could talk about Bathsheba, even with her storied past and her colorful character that she was. I could talk about her and the mother she was to Solomon. I could, I could talk about Ruth. I'm reading through the book of Ruth now and the, the mother that she was to Obed. And from Obed came Jesse. From Jesse came David. From David came the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I thought about them and I just came to the opinion that they would not be included in the happiest mother, mothers who ever lived. So my mind went to some other mothers of Scripture. I want to take just a few moments today and just unpack some of their stories for you and let's see if we can determine who the happiest mother that ever lived was. First of all, 
I thought I would talk about Eve. Eve, the very first mother ever known to man. Eve, the mother of all living. Eve, who was blessed with not one but two boys, Cain and Abel. But how heartbroken Eve must have been on that day when she lost not one, but she lost two boys in the same day. When Abel was killed by the hands of his very own brother Cain because of a jealous rage that Cain flew into because God refused to accept his offering. Cain has murdered Abel. Abel is gone, and now Cain is fleeing and on the run for his life. And to lose one boy is bad, but to, in a sense, lose two boys in the same day, heartbroken she must have been. But that heartbrokenness and that grief and that sorrow turned back into joy. When God gave to her and Adam a substitute son by the name of Seth, Satan had tried to assassinate God's plan for mankind. But God intervened and he gave Adam and Eve, Seth, a substitute and turned that grief and that sorrow into unexplainable joy. Now I have a son from the Lord, she said. But Eve was not the happiest mother who ever lived. Then I thought about Sarah. 90-year-old Sarah has a 100-year-old husband named Abraham. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says that God is going to give Sarah a child at 90 years old. Ladies, can you imagine at 90 years of age. And when Sarah heard what the angel said, she literally laughed out loud at the possibility of having a son. Abraham, the Bible said, was as good as dead. They were well past the age of childbearing. But God, with the sense of humor that he has, and in his grace and in his mercy... He indeed did open the womb of Sarah and gave to her and Abraham a little boy by the name of Isaac whose name is literally translated to mean laughter. And probably for about 13 or 14, maybe 15 years, Sarah watched that little boy grow before her eyes. She experienced the thrill of cradling him in her arms. She experienced the joy of looking into his face and talking so sweetly to him and listening to him coo back at her and make such sweet, soft baby sounds. But one day, her husband Abraham comes to her. He's got this sickened look on his face. And he says, Sarah, I need to talk to you God came to me last night, and he told me that I have to take our son, our only son, Isaac. 
Now, Pastor, you do realize that they had two boys, Isaac and Ishmael. Yeah, but the Bible is very clear and makes it plain and calls Isaac their son, their only son, because Ishmael was birthed out of the flesh and out of a desire to force the will of God. And any time you try to force the will of God, you'll never get anything spiritual from him. The Lord spoke to me, Sarah, and he's told me that I have to take our son up to the top of a mountain. I've got to lay him down on an altar, Sarah, and I have to offer him as a burnt offering. Sarah, I'm going to have to take a knife. I'm going to have to plunge it through his chest. And then I'm going to have to engulf him in flames as a burnt sacrificial offering before God. Abraham, it, it can't be. Sarah, I'm sorry. God's spoken to me. And I must do this. And she watches as Abraham calls his servants. And they saddle the donkeys. And he takes that boy who was somewhere, commentators say, between 13 and 15 years old. And she watches as they make their way out from their home and they begin their journey to a place that God was going to show Abraham. I, I believe that possibly Sarah stood there as long as she possibly could and she watched until they got completely out of sight. And then with no words to even begin to express how she feels, she turns her back and she walks into her house. I believe that possibly she walked into Isaac's room and she looked at everything that was there and she began to recount and to reflect and to recall and to reminisce and to remember all of the wonderful things about that boy that God had given her. I'm just using my imagination today. I believe that she was engulfed in sobs. and She wept and she cried and she maybe looked up to heaven and said, God, how could you? This was our promise. You said we were going to have a boy, and now you have the audacity to ask my husband to take our son up to a mountain and slaughter him as a burnt offering. God, how could this be? Days go by. And then at some point, Sarah, or excuse me, yes, Sarah, here's, here's something outside. And she goes out and she looks, and off in the distance, coming down the dusty road, she sees those same donkeys that had left. She sees those same servants that had left. And she sees Abraham coming. And could it be? Could it be as she scans the horizon and puts her hand over her eyes that it's Isaac? Could it be? What has happened? I thought that God had said that Abraham had to lay him down on an altar. I, I thought my husband had said to me that, 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 there's, that, that I've got to take him and I've got to slaughter him because God said that I, I had to, but no. Here she, here she comes out, on, out into, into the, to the road and she sees. She sees Abraham. She sees the servants. She sees the donkeys. And there it is. It's her teenage son. And at one moment she had such grief and despair and such sorrow. And just a few days prior they had left. But now, now her sorrow has turned into great joy because God himself had provided a sacrifice on top of that mountain. And here comes Isaac back down the road. I believe she ran out to meet him and said, baby, tell me everything that happened. Mama, you're not going to believe it. 
Daddy had me tied down on the altar. But in a moment of time, we heard something back on the other side of the mountain. And Daddy said, wait a minute, son. I've got to see what's back there. And when Daddy looked over the other side of the mountain, Mama, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And God himself provided a sacrifice. I didn't have to die, Mama, because God provided a sacrifice in my place. And Sarah must have felt such exuberance and felt such joy. She wasn't the happiest mother who ever lived. Then I thought about Hannah, that woman in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. That woman who the Bible said was barren, could not give birth. And she was so desperate and so desired a child, a son, She had gone with her husband to the temple, Brother Turpin, to offer the yearly sacrifice. She goes in to the temple. And she stands at the altar. And because she has become so overwhelmed and become so distraught, and because her heart desires a child more than anything else, she begins to cry out and to pray to God. She's become so caught up in the moment and so consumed with the desires of her heart that while she's praying, the Bible says that her lips were moving, but there was no sound that was coming out. Eli, who was serving in the temple as the priest, runs up to her and with a a stern rebuke says, Hannah, how dare you come into this temple intoxicated? How dare you come to the altar of God? Put your wine away from you. You can't be in the temple drunk like this. What is wrong with you, woman? And she looks at the priest and says, Eli, I'm not drunk. I've had nothing to drink. But it's sorrow of heart. There's this thing that I want so badly from God. Eli, I've had nothing strong to drink, but I've got this... Request that I have of God, and I'm pleading with him for it. And Eli says to her, then go your way. and May God grant to you the very thing that you have desired from him. And this woman who prayed with such desire, who prayed with such passion and such fervor, God opened up her womb and gave her a boy by the name of Samuel who would become one of the greatest prophets ever known in the Old Testament. But there's more to the story because Hannah had made a vow to God that if God would open her womb and give her a child, that she would, as the Bible said, would lend him back, and be, to the Lord. She would dedicate him back to God for life service, how and where the Lord pleased. And at about three years of age, She had the joy of having that boy in her home for three years. Commentators and historians tell us that probably at the age of three is when they were weaned, so to speak. I believe that she grabbed him maybe by his chubby little hand, Brother Turpin, and said, Eli, Samuel, come on. Come on with Mama. we got to go to the temple. Where are we going, Mama? Don't worry about it, baby. Just come on. Let's go. And she grabbed his hand, walked out of her house, and made that journey that day that temple. The whole way, I believe he's tugging on her skirt. Mama, where are we going? Tell me what's going on. What are we doing? Don't worry, baby. Just come on with Mama. 
And she gets to the steps of that temple. And she looks up and she knows this will be the last walk she'll have with him for a year. I believe that carefully and methodically, hand still in her hand, she takes one step. And all of a sudden, it just dawns on her what she's getting ready to do. And again, I'm using some imagination today. Now, Pastor, you don't read this in the Bible. I know I don't, but I'm going to use some imagination. Since I'm preaching, I'm going to preach it how I want. I was telling my kids last night what I was going to preach, and J.C. said, well, that, that's, not, that's not in the Bible, so you can't say that. I said, well, I'm preaching it, and I'll preach it how I want. Don't you worry about it, little missy. And I believe that she began to wipe tears away from her eyes because she knows life will never be the same again. And she finally gets to the top of those stairs. Samuel's just inquisitive and so curious. Mama, what are we doing here? Come on, baby. She takes him by his hand and she walks in. And there's Eli. He recognizes her. You're the woman that stood at the altar and I thought you were drunk. But look, God has given you exactly what you've asked him for. And she says, Eli, I've come to bring my son, this gift from God, back here to the temple and to drop him off because I have made a vow to God that if God would give me this child, I would lend him back to the Lord. So Eli, I'm leaving him here with you. I'm dedicating him back to the Lord, Eli. Take good care of him. I believe the hand of God's on his life, Eli. Make sure you watch over him. Don't let him stay up too late. Don't let him eat too many cookies. His stomach gets sick really. Eli, take care of my boy. And she drops him off. With every bit of energy she had, I believe it took for her to turn her back and walk out of that temple, walk back down those stairs and walk back home. But as the time for the yearly sacrifice would grow near, Oh, she'd have this sense of excitement in her heart. Her heart would start to beat, and she would say, it would start to beat beat quickly. I'm going to see my boy today. I believe she would look at the calendar, and she'd count the days down. I've only got a few more days. I'm going to get to see my boy again. And that same woman who had dropped him off probably with tears in her eyes, when when that yearly sacrifice would roll around, she would have such joy. And I believe she would walk quickly and briskly to get to that temple. And she'd walk inside and scoop that boy up and say, Baby, you've gotten so big. I can't believe how big you've gotten. You're beautiful, baby. But I want to tell you that Hannah wasn't the happiest mother who ever lived. And in my mind thought about Elizabeth. That preacher's wife in the New Testament. The Bible said that her and her husband were past the age of childbearing. Her husband's name was Zechariah, and he served in the temple as a priest. Offered incense to God and worked in the temple, involved in the service of the Lord. One day as Zechariah goes to prayer, he goes in to offer incense to God to do his priestly duty. He has this moment, this encounter with an angel. And says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Yeah, God, but I, I prayed that a long time ago. We're well past the age of childbearing. No, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. God is going to open the womb of your wife, Elizabeth, and they, you're going to conceive. She's going to conceive, and you're going to have a child. And you will name him John. 
He's going to be a man who will live in the desert. His attire will be that of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His appetite, his diet will consist of locusts and wild honey. He's going to have an anointing of God upon his life, and the power of the Spirit is going to rest upon him. When Zechariah came out, he was unable to speak because of his doubt and his unbelief, and for, for many days he was mute. Had to write on a board to show the family, they're going to, we're going to call him John. Nobody, nobody, nobody in the family is called John Zechariah, but that's what God said to do. God gives them a son, and John would become John the Baptist. And can you imagine? Can you imagine the thrill in Elizabeth's heart as that boy grew? And I believe he began to tell her and share with her the desires he had in his heart to do ministry. Mama, I'm going to be a preacher. John, you are. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to go and all this stuff that you've showed me, the things that I've read in the law about Jesus, I, I, I might just be the forerunner, Mama. I might be the one who preaches before he comes, John. Now, now calm down, baby. Getting a little heady. You say, Mama, no, I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Can you imagine the joy that swelled in her? I believe she was there. I believe she was there as John the Baptist stood at the Jordan River. And he preached a gospel of repentance. And would point his finger and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. She was there and she heard him call the religious people a brood of vipers. And would challenge the religious system of the day. She was there. She heard her son utter these words. I, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But there is one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend down and loose his sandal strap. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I can imagine as she stood there and she heard him preach and she, she, she heard him challenge the religious system of the day and she watched him baptize people. How, how happy her heart must have been. But nothing like the day when Jesus showed up at that river and he walks down and he says to John, I need you to baptize me. John says, Lord, no, no, I, I can't. You, you are the Lamb of God I've been talking about. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I can't do it. You need to baptize me. No, John, it must be this way. You know, I like to imagine that maybe his mama was within earshot. He said, Mama, I told you. Mama, I told you. See, Mama, I told you. Told you I was going to preach. I told you I was going to be the one that preached about Jesus. And there as John baptizes Jesus himself and lowers him under the water and brings him back out. The Bible said that the heavens opened up, that a dove descended, this audible expression comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know for a fact that Elizabeth was there, but I would like to imagine that if she was there and she heard that, she probably said, that's my boy. That's my boy. He just baptized the Christ, the chosen one. That, that's my son. And as happy as she was and as thrilled as she was, I don't think Elizabeth was the happiest mother that ever lived. Then my mind thought about, about Mary, the mother of Jesus. It has to be. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has to be the happiest mother that ever lived. I mean, can you imagine when this teenage girl 
is just minding her business, Brother Stout, and an angel shows up and says, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I believe Mary probably said, you're talking about that, Mary, aren't you? No, no, you, Mary, you're blessed and highly favored. The Lord has chosen you, Mary. He's handpicked you out of all the women in Israel, Mary. He's picked you. He's picked your womb to be the womb that will carry the Christ child. Lord, how can this be? I've never known a man. I'm engaged to be married, but I've never had intimacy with a man. How how can this be, Mary? The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And that which is conceived in you will be by the power of the Holy Ghost. You're going to bring forth a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. He's going to be Jesus the Christ. Mary, you, of all the women that God could choose, why would he choose Mary? I believe it comes down to one simple thing, desire. I think Mary had such a desire to please God that God could not turn a blind eye. That's the girl I want to use. Use that virgin womb. By the way, I just want to let you know, I don't care what people preach, promote, propagate, or say in this 21st century. Jesus was virgin born, conceived by the Holy Ghost. And if he was not, the cross is null and void, and his blood is like your blood and my blood, and it didn't work. But I'm telling you, he was virgin born, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And because he was, the blood that flows from his veins is not a natural blood, but it is the blood of God, his Father. And it is that blood that washes away all of my sins. It calms all my fears, and it soothes all my pain. Thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The thrill that she must have had when that angel announced that to her. And can you imagine the wide range of emotions that she must have experienced as she watched Jesus grow up? Pastor Demery, she wasn't blind to what she had read. She knew. She knew what was coming. She knew he was destined for the cross. And in the back of her mind, I believe that as she watched him grow up, she knew that day's coming. That day is coming. And with such a wide range of emotions, she would just step back and just watch that little boy turn into a man. And then it came. That day came. The happiness and the joy from giving birth to that that baby. We see her now in agonizing pain on her knees at the cross. That bearded face that she had held in her hands as a little tiny baby and sang lullabies to him has now been plucked out and beaten. Those hands that she had held in her hands, that hand that she had held as they walked to and fro from the marketplace and shopped around. Those sweet little hands that reached for her now have Roman spikes driven into them. Those feet, those little feet that she had watched run back and forth across the yard. Those little feet that she had heard as they came pitter-pattering through the house. 
those little feet that she had probably rubbed and played this little piggy went to market with when she changed his diaper. Unless you think that Jesus was not human in that way, you are sadly mistaken. He, he was like we were in so many ways when it came to humanity. The only thing different was that he never sinned. Those feet, now one pressed on top of the other and a nail driven through it. That back, that back that she had possibly rubbed many a times, Brother Jerry Beckner, to get, to, get him to sleep. That back has now been laid open by a Roman whip. That, that, that brow, that brow that she had probably patted with a cool cloth when it was fevered. That brow now has a crown of thorns dug down into it. And that brow that she had probably wiped many a time, that forehead that she had kissed on more than one occasion, now there's great drops of blood that are dripping down it. She kneels at that cross. The grief. Even though she knows there's something after the cross. I believe she had read, she knew the prophecies, but she just can't hardly take it. And there at that cross, she watches as he pushes himself up to get his breath and he gets down to that one last final saying on the cross. And he says, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. He takes one last gasp of air, cradles that bearded chin on his chest, and gives up the ghost and yields his spirit to God and slumps over dead. Can you imagine? And how do you go 33 years earlier, to such joy, to now such grief. But can, can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy that came when word began to travel and word got out, Mary, Mary, your boy, Jesus he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Mary, we, we came to the tomb on that third day. Mary, we came to that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And Mary, your boy wasn't there. There was an angel that was sitting there and said, He is not here, but he is risen just like he said, Mary. Mary, that's your boy. He said, he said destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise up. Mary, Jesus, your son, he's come back from the dead. He's not there anymore. More. He's risen, Mary. It happened just like he said. Can you imagine the joy that filled that woman's heart? But I don't believe she was the happiest mother that ever lived. I'm going to give you one more. I believe, and I'm just going to use some imagination. If you want to leave here today and say, Pastor Gore preached a he preached a message, and it's not even in the Scripture. Go ahead, help yourself. I don't even care. I believe, maybe, and permit me just to, to really think here, that the happiest mother that ever lived was the mother of that dying thief that day who was crucified beside Jesus. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. He, he wasn't there, was he? I've read all four gospel accounts, Pastor, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're, you're dead wrong, Pastor. The, the, the mother of, of, of either one of those thieves, they weren't there. Well, let me, let me just present to you for just a moment. Was Mary the mother of Jesus at the cross that day? Was she there? 
Was that her son that she had given birth to on that cross? Well, maybe. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it. Maybe the mother of that dying thief. Maybe. Maybe she was there that day. Maybe both of them were there that day. And Based on what I know about mothers and based on something that that boy said that day, that man said that day, I believe she was there. Listen, I have had mothers look at me knowing that their sons have done wrong and knowing that their sons have committed crimes. I've had them look at me through the years and say, Preacher, my boy's really not that bad. He didn't mean to do it, preacher. He just got hooked up with the wrong crowd. He's not a bad boy, pastor. He really is not. I've had him. I've gone to jails to sit across the glass plate and pick up a phone. I'm telling you, I can visit a nursing home. I can visit a hospital. I can go a lot of places, but there's something about when you walk into a jail to visit and you hear that door shut behind you, it sends shivers down my spine. And I've had, when I've been on staff, pastors make me. You need to go to visit the jail. And because I was so submissive and so nice, I'd say, why don't you go visit the jail? I don't like the jail, Pastor Weaver. It's it's an eerie feeling. And like you've done something wrong, and I've picked up the phone. And there's no way to touch. There's no way to cut. It's just a simple conversation, and you can't go very long. And when nobody else will stand beside their son or beside someone, a mother will stand beside her son. I mean, why else would a mother get into a car and drive hundreds of miles one way on a Saturday? Sit across a glass plate, have a short conversation with her boy, hang that phone up, get back in her car, drive hundreds of miles back home, only to do it all over again the next weekend. Because that's her boy. That's her son. You remember that mother in the Old Testament named Rispa, don't you? In the book of Samuel, when her two, her two boys had been murdered because of a sin that King Saul had committed and they were left out hanging on a tree. And the Bible said that Rispa took sackcloth and she beat away the beast of the field and the fowl of the air till she could get those boys a proper burial. I mean, she braved weather. She braved the elements. She braved wild beasts because she wanted to take care of those boys who were dead and their carcasses were rotting. That's the love of a mother. And I have no doubts that that mother... Pastor Tony, come help me, please. Let me land this. I have no doubts... That that mother of that thief, quite possibly, had visited that jail that he sat in. I believe it's possible that she had looked into that jail on many occasions and said, Baby, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? How could you do it? Don't you know? Don't you know? punishment for this crime. They're going to take your life, baby. Why'd you do it? I believe that as that processional made its way down the streets, Calvary was the destination. 
Jesus carried his cross. I believe those two thieves carried their cross as well. As they made their way down the street, down Via Della Rosa, that, that mother, Mary was there watching it happen. I believe the mother of that dying thief was there, reaching and tugging at his garment. Every step of the way, Roman soldier having to push her back. I'm sorry you can't get near him. In her heart, she knows what's coming. I wonder if maybe when they got to Calvary, they laid that cross down that maybe she just went and flung herself on the cross and said, please, let me take his place. Please crucify me. That's my boy. That's my boy. Please don't crucify him. Let me take his place. That big, burly Roman soldier probably picked her up and moved her out of the way. And right there in front of her laid that boy on that cross and just put him through the horrible, torturous death of crucifixion. There's no doubt her heart felt like it was breaking in a million pieces if she indeed was there. I'm convinced that probably at some point she had taken that boy to the synagogue. I'm convinced that somehow she had raised that boy right and taught him right from wrong. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? I can prove that to you. Because as Jesus hang, hung on that middle cross, thief on one side, a thief on the other side, at one point during that day, both of those thieves railed on the Lord and mocked him and ridiculed him. But at some point during the day, one of those thieves changed his tune. As the one thief said to him, if you really are the Christ, won't you, why don't you save yourself and save us too? And that thief, that other thief, looked over at him and said, don't you have any fear of God? Where did he learn that from? Somebody taught him. And I want to contend that his mama taught him something. He said, don't you have any fear of God? Seeing that we receive the just reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He, he's the only thief of the two that acknowledged that day that Jesus had done nothing wrong, but they were guilty of everything they were giving. Who, who do you think... Who do you think taught him that? Can I just suggest maybe, possibly, maybe his mother had taught him that? Then he said something. Then he said something after that. After he talked to his partner in crime, he looks over at Jesus. And he doesn't say, sir, man, he calls him something. He says, Lord. And you read the text, it's a capital L. That word Lord there means the supreme being over everything. You can't call somebody that if you don't have no knowledge of them. Lord. I'm convinced that if indeed his mother was there, that prior to that, that she'd just been standing there watching him and maybe saying, please, baby, say something. Say something. I know it's bad, but I wish I could be there. I wish I could take your place. Baby, please say something. Say something. 
and in between breaths because crucifixion was designed to suffocate the victim. They would bend their legs at that angle so the only way to get breath, they'd have to push up to get a breath and fall back down. Somewhere in between those breaths that he was taking, he looked over at Jesus, that bloody, torn, mangled, beaten, suffering Savior who looked like a sheep had been led to slaughter. Who would know that in three days he'd come up as a line of the tribe of Judah, strong and mighty and powerful. And he says, he says, Lord, I believe that if his mama was there, I just have to imagine that her ears perked up. She said, that's it, baby. That's it, baby. Call on him. That's it. That's it. That's who mama taught you about. You've got it. That's him. Call on him, baby. Call him again. Lord. Lord. And all of a sudden, that heart that was so broken because of the pain he was going through physically, something happened. And she heard him. Lord, that's it. That's it. That's who I taught you about. That's why I took you to synagogue. That's why I taught you what we taught you. That's him, baby. Call him. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, I believe, turned back to him and said, today. <laughs> today. I, I wonder if that's why Paul would write that today is the day of salvation. Today. You will be with me in paradise. And I believe that celebration, if she indeed was there, I believe celebration broke out that day when she heard her boy call on the name of Jesus. And when she realized that her son had just experienced in a moment of time the grace of Jesus Christ, I believe she just maybe threw her hands up and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all he had to do, it was a four-letter word. All he had to do was say, Lord. Somebody say it. Would you, would you say, Lord? Come on, say it again. Say, Lord. That's all he had to do. That's all he had to say. It wasn't a long, drawn-out, what we call a sinner's prayer. It wasn't a six-week class to go through to make sure you had everything together. Listen, he didn't say, no, Lord, I, I want to receive you today, but I, I got to get myself cleaned up and get right before I come. No, it was none of that. It was, Lord. I read somewhere in Acts 2 and 21 that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You think, you think that dying thief, you reckon he had a rap sheet, Brother Stout? He had a rap sheet probably a mile long. Was he guilty of every crime he was hanging on that cross for? You better believe he was. But I'm telling you, there's something. There's something about the mercy of God. There's something about the grace of God. It runs so wide and it runs so deep. When a dying thief has to have a deathbed salvation, God in his mercy and God in his grace will reach his hand down and he'll say, today you'll be with me in paradise.
Would you just raise up your hands and welcome the Holy Spirit in this place today? Hallelujah. Listen, I believe the happiest mother, the happiest mothers in all of the world are the ones who know that their children have been born into the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, it don't get any better than that, friend. Whether she was there or not, I don't know. But here's the principle I know to be true right here. All you got to do is call on him today. You can't, listen, you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't get baptized enough times to get into heaven. You can't pay enough money into a special offering. You can't do enough deeds to get into heaven. Well, pastor, then how do I do it? You come helpless and hopeless like a little baby, like a little child, your arms flailing, knowing that without God you can't make it and you can't do it. Whether you bow on your knee, whether you stand up, whether you're lying in a bed, whether you're on your last, getting ready to breathe your last breath, you simply say, Lord, save me. I'm telling you, the great The grace of God is that big. The mercy of God is that wide. The love of God is that deep. He will save your lost soul. Lord, remember me. Ah, come on. If you're glad today for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Come on and stand with me. Would you do that? Come on and stand all over this building today.